Hello and welcome to the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast. Proud member of the ANA Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mike Burbridge. Innovation's the name of the game today as we welcome Vice Media Group's Chief Innovation Officer and Co-President of Virtue, Colin Mitchell. Colin shared his unique perspective of running a creative agency inside a media company and discussed some of the typical innovation hurdles he helps marketers clear every day. We also chatted about the Viceverse, Vice Media Group's brand new foray into the metaverse and why the rise of the metaverse could eventually make the social media revolution feel like a ripple. Let's start the show. All right, everybody. We are back in the virtual ANA Marketing Futures podcast studio uh, with a very special guest today, Colin Mitchell, who is the Chief Innovation Officer at Vice Media Group and co-president of Virtue. Colin, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us today. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure. So we're going to just, before we jump into it, because we're going to cover a lot of different topics today, but just give our listeners a, a little bit of an idea of who you are and how your journey led you to becoming uh, the chief innovation officer and uh, VMG and co-president of Virtue. Uh, sure. So I, um, I've been in marketing about just over 30 years, so it's been a long and winding road. I started in London in a different era, really, as I say to my kids in a far distant land <laughs> time and i started as a planner as we called them then uh, a very different world it was obviously very analog um i was lucky started an agency called bmp which i loved they gave me a great training and then i came to the states in 1996 worked for a couple of boutique agencies including cliff freeman then ended up at ogilvy and i ended up there for 17 years I eventually became global head of planning, uh, and those were great years. And then about six years ago, I moved to McDonald's, and I was global director of brand strategy for McDonald's, and eventually led global marketing for the organization. And then I split off with an old friend of mine called Chris Garbutt, who was chief creative officer of TBWA at the time, and we started a little consultancy called Platformer. And one of our first clients was the Vice Media Group, and we got really close to them very quickly, and they eventually made us an offer, and we were acquired by them. And so that's how I'm in my current position, which is mainly, I would say, running Virtue, which we can talk about, but also I we, we do work at the group level, and if you're interested, we can talk about Vice, too, and where they're headed. <clears throat> that's just such a great holistic body of experience. You've kind of seen it from everybody's perspective, which I must imagine now in Virtue, which is a pretty uniquely positioned agency. I think that that, I have to imagine that 360 POV of experience has helped. It has been great, actually, because I, I definitely work for the agency side. And I think in my heart, I'm still a sort of professional services guy. That's how I think. Uh, and then the client side was fascinating. And I was lucky because I was at McDonald's during really interesting years when they were turning the company around and they a lot of radical change very, very quickly. And now I work for a media company, really, which and it's a, it's a different world. They, the language is different, the jargon, the way they see the world, the way they think about audiences, the way they think about products, the way they sell. It's all completely different. The personalities are different. So it's, it, has been, it has been a good ride. 
Excellent, excellent. So around innovation with virtue in particular, there's kind of an organizing principle. We, we've talked a few times in the past and like you mentioned that you have four P's of innovation that kind yeah. of keeps the focus and really, you know, communicates the universe of what you do. Would you mind expounding on that? For sure, yeah. I mean, maybe I'll just explain our sort of theory of the world for a moment first and then we can talk about how we're innovating. Would love that, would love that. <laughs> So we think, I mean, the reason Chris and I joined was to think the, the media world is splitting into two. So on the one hand, there's the old ad-supported universe, which is obviously very well evolved and works really well or did for, for half a century or more. Uh, but you could see, I mean, it's evident that that's rapidly changing, right? So the rise of gaming, the rise of streaming, the rise of subscription-supported media, all very different. And... Um, we think that brands are sort of, a lot of established brands are kind of stranded in the old world and don't know how to get into the new world. New brands find it easier just to, to start afresh in the new world. But, and, and it's not as simple as just turning off the advertising and jumping to the metaverse. It, you've got to kind of straddle both. Um, so that's that's our what we our proposition is what we call insider marketing. So we say you know having this sort of unusual position of being an ad agency inside a media company and and a media company that's particularly focused on youth and emerging culture gives us this unusual vantage point. We can sort of see see brands from the inside of culture, whereas everybody else is getting in. And traditionally, the agencies held a sort of gatekeeper role you know they'd say they mm -hmm. try and get but we do have an advantage there so that's our, our our how we sell ourselves insider marketing and then we sort of you know virtue is an ad agency i mean we do we work for all sorts of clients we can talk about those but we do all the things an ad agency would do we have a creative department a strategy department account services department but we also do things that are different uh, that i think take advantage of of the viceness viciness as we call it <laughs> so uh we call this the four p's so there's prediction which is about essentially consulting it's about understanding where the culture is going and helping brands navigate that and because we have all of these reporters around the world and what reporters call stringers a stringer is somebody who doesn't work for you but becomes a source so they can tell you there's this new cool new gallery going or there's this new form of music or this new trend with you know Korean food or whatever so they we essentially have what many trends agencies as aspire to have is this huge network of people genuinely really embedded in culture um, and 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 because they're because vice is a sort of quite an authentic brand whether you like it or not not everybody does but it is truly passionate about that so that's prediction production is production so it's creating branded content and entertainment for brands that that's new for me I mean obviously we dabbled in it in the agency world and at McDonald's but to do it from inside a media company is new for me. And it's really interesting because, you know, every every agency deck in the world has a slide with a Netflix logo on it. And the agency promises that they're going to, you know, get branded content series on Netflix. That has never happened. <laughs> That's the whole point <laughs> of Netflix. Netflix doesn't do that. But there are lots of other ways that you can create branded content. And we've got people who do that all day, every day. And actually, that's where we find we've been most helped to brands. Is it, do you want to sponsor a show? Do you want to do a shorter series rather than a, a feature documentary? And just the sort of helping them think through 
what space they want to be in. And that's why no, very few brands have succeeded in production because it takes a long time and the life cycle of a brand manager is two years. So you have to, you have to be clever and kind of find new ways of doing that. But there is this big shift where marketers are trying to go around agencies and go straight to creators and makers. You know, that's why Ryan Reynolds has done so fantastically well. Um, and we think we're well placed to take advantage of that. So that's the second P, production. And the third P is what we call placement. And that's rapidly becoming the metaverse. I mean, we thought of it more broadly and because we could, we have this publishing brand called Munchies, which is all about food. So if you want to do a food festival, we can do that. We have a music channel called Noisy. So if you want to do a concert series, we can do that. We've got a fashion magazine called ID. So if you want to do a fashion event, we can work with those guys and do that. But the heat obviously right now is around the metaverse. And we've done, we've actually launched our own agency in the metaverse, which we could talk about also if you're interested. I would love to. And then the final P is people. So we think people, ta talents, celebrities, creators, and so forth are, are, are just more and more important to brands uh, because of this splitting of the world into two. You know, brands, as they try and attach themselves to culture or get into culture, that's an obvious way of doing it, right? So, and we divide that as a sort of three-layered cake. We talk about um, celebrities, which is obvious, creators, which is the new world of influencers and so forth, and then communities, which is how I think um, a lot of marketers used to think about followers, social media followers. It was, I always think, I always thought followers are slightly pejorative. It sounds like they're sheep, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I think the brands that get that really right create this sense of participation in the brand. At McDonald's, when we did it best, and we didn't always, but that, that's, that was the key, was a sense of uh, customer participation. And um, so that, that's how we encourage brands to think about it in those three ways. What's your strategy, if any, on celebrities, on creators, and then hopefully that creates community around the brand. I have to imagine you are helping different brands out with their innovation challenges, kind of in a, a spectrum across the board, you know, not only because of your offerings and your POVs, but obviously with the different needs of different verticals, different brands, sizes, and everything. But have you found that there are some, you know, big misconceptions about innovation that rear their heads more often than others so, yeah. i mean there's an academic called douglas holt who speaks very well about this and he he wrote an article on hbr a couple of years ago and he makes the distinction between two schools of innovation what he, he calls the better mouse trap quoting emerson um school which is what most classic big companies do and it tends to be quite iterative and it tends to come up with incremental innovation so this is you know putting blue chips in the laundry or putting a stripe in the toothpaste or whatever right right and you know les benet of the long and the short of it and the, the big uh, macro ipa study shows that that type of innovation isn't isn't terribly effective for consumers because it isn't innovation a real innovation like the ipad is fantastically effective for brands but it's hard to come by so holt argues that um, you know, she used to think about innovation through a cultural lens. So it talks about vitamin water, for example, which was, or smart water, an incredibly successful 
kind of category inventing form of innovation from a decade ago. But that's that's a quintessential example of noticing what's going on with the world, health trends, science trends, and so forth, and, and inventing a product category in that case around that innovation. And that could be, I think, much more radical and much more satisfying and effective when you do that that way. And that's our sort of lens on the world. Every agency talks about culture now, obviously, but we, we like to think we have a better vantage point on that um, because we're so embedded in it. And you do really need to. I mean, I th- the cult talks about how cultural innovation comes from subcultures to the mainstream so mm. it's not you, you have to kind of seek it out and in order to do that you have to be connected to these to the people who are introducing it's not obvious you don't read about it in the new york times until it's <laughs> happened you know you do exactly times the times is fantastic but they're going to but if you're trending yeah if you're looking if you're trend chasing from the like opinion section of the new york times you've you you've missed the you've missed the inflection point right 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 so just to continue on kind of this this line of 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 thinking and conversation do you find that often a brand will come to you with what they think is the challenge but is kind of only a symptom and you have to kind of help them dig through to see what the real cause of this is yeah absolutely i mean i think any professional services would say the same right if you're a lawyer or a consultant you know or an ad, ad agencies when ad agencies were really good at this. I know Ogilvy used to be fantastic at this in the good old days, but it's a truism of professional services. The, the professionals want to know the problem, not the solution, right? And they're much more effective. If you're a lawyer, you don't want to be called when you're in jail and need to be bailed out. You know, you call your you call your lawyer when you anticipate trouble, right? And there's much more she can do to help you then. Not that that's ever happened to me, but um, <laughs> get the point. If you're a business consultant, you talk about, well, we want to go into the, you know, the beauty category. Can you help us think that through rather than we have to launch a hand cream next week? What do we do? And it's the same in branding. You know, the further upstream you can get at, the better, a much more constructive conversation the problem is that I think agencies have kind of lost the art of that. Um, they've become, and, and clients have been complicit in that. And so it's all become quite transactional and it's led to huge dissatisfaction on both sides, you know? And that's why you see the sort of marketing you see today. And it's this sort of, it's a weird paradox, I think, because it's never, you know, in some ways it's never been a more exciting time to be in marketing because there's so much you can do. But if you look at most of what you see is just very, very small, right? Because people are thinking in terms of tactics, not mm-hmm. brand. And there are exceptions to that. And there's, a, interestingly, a lot of, if you talk to people in the private equity world or the venture capital world, they'll say a lot of the innovation is very brand-led. But hmm. for the most part, big companies t- are actually becoming more incremental and less strategic and agencies have followed them in that and it's a trap so if you wouldn't mind i would like to kind of activate one of the four p's of virtue right now the first one the prediction if you wouldn't mind um, kind of looking into your crystal ball because i think you've got a unique POV of this having just launched into 
what we're about to discuss yourself. I would love to hear your thoughts on the future of Metaverse. I mean, it's been a hot topic for months. Obviously, that means that it's been in the works for years. But how do you see consumers entering into this place? How do you see brands effectively engaging and meeting them there? And then I would love to hear anything that you uh, feel comfortable about telling us about the vice verse. Sure, yeah. Well, the vice verse is up there. You can visit it. Please do. It's in the central land. It's in a really, it's a collaboration with, and I'll come back to the wider metaverse, but I'm so excited about that. Yeah, let's go. Vice I love verse, it. It just, it just launched yesterday. So you we can't show you pictures on right here, but you anybody can visit it, and there, if you Google it, you can find your way there. We'll really. put a link in the uh, in the uh, okay, the great. And it's so it's in the central land. It's got a really nice piece of real estate, which matters in these things. Um, which the folks at the central land were very kind um, to to give us because they wanted us there, and. Um, it's uh, what makes it really exciting, apart from that, that collaboration, is it's built by um, an architect called Biaki Engels, who, you know, many New Yorkers will know he's built that fabulous pyramid building on the West Side Highway. He's got another big building going on downtown. He's he's, he's a star architect. He's one of the new, there's a wonderful Netflix documentary about him, if you're interested. But he's amazing. And um, I was actually a big fan of his even before this. But um it looks super cool and that that's really important and it was really well thought out because these are professional architects and it's it's a sort of vice world all the vice brands are represented there so you know for we didn't talk about that but vice is more than virtue in fact virtue is probably the least important part of vice there's news there's uh, studios that makes films like um our film flea which was just Os oscar nominated there is the digital publishing that has refinery 29 id magazine and so forth and then there's a production company called pulse that makes ads for all the greats you know apple and nike and and so forth um and we're all we're all there and we're open for business and we had a, a very exciting call the next day from a major brand I won't mention because we're in negotiations with them, but they said, this is great. We're trying to get in there. How do we do it? Um, so it's having the desired effect. So that's, that's our presence in the, in the, in the vice versa. And we just thought we have to be there. We have to be there at the beginning and we have to, this is the beginning, right? In mm. case it wasn't obvious. I mean, this is yeah. really, this is the, this is 19, you know, I hope it's not 1999 in the sense of a crash, but this is, as my colleague says, there's going to be companies that are like pets.com, they'll become kind of ridiculed, and then there'll be companies that like amazon.com that will change the world over the next two decades. Um, I think the key thing about the metaverse that we found is that the, it's, it's actually, it's only a term, it's a term that only marketers use. I mean, I've got teenage kids and they don't use that term. It said, my son said, I sound like an old head, which is apparently what young people call older people these days, <laughs> an old head when I talk about the metaverse. But it's really, a, it's obviously a catch-all term for a lot of different, you know, universes or worlds. So that's the first big choice brands have to make. It's a tough one, right? Because we went into Decentraland because we think the future, maybe this is just part of the vice religion, but we think the future is open, has to be open. So even though there's far fewer people there right now, we think there will be. 
and it's more and more exciting place to be. But there are lots of different places you can be. You can be in Roblox or Fortnite. And obviously they're well on their way and they've benefited immensely from COVID. I, the, the next thing is that this it's happening with incredible speed. So you've got to really move quickly. One of the companies we're talking about, we said, essentially they sat out this, this social media revolution. I mean, they sort of dabbled in it. This is a mega, <laughs> mega brand, which we all know, but they didn't do much. They were fearful of it. If you want to get this right, start now. So it's, you know, we say to clients, this isn't, Metaverse isn't crypto, it's not NFTs, we've done that, we can talk more about NFTs as well, nor is it video games, nor is it VR or AR, it's actually the intersection between all of those technologies, so I know that sounds like bullshit, it sounds very vague and amorphous, but it is, it is very obviously a, a very uh, fluid moment, and it's, it's taking shape before our very eyes. And I feel like that's how, if you really wanted to, you know, rewind the clock back 10, 15 years and describe social media beyond its MySpace and Facebook, it would sound very much like this, like, oh, it's this amorphous web 2.0 and it's where content yes. now just becomes this shareable, more of, you know what I mean? Yep. 10 years ago, that would have sounded like, okay, what do you want me to buy? Right. So yeah, <laughs> so it makes sense that the metaverse now is yeah. just, it's yeah. this new capability. In, in the, yes, the, the, it, is, it will be what we make of it. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. And it's, inter, it's interlocking somewhat competitive technologies, each of which will find the role. I mean, it's a cliche, but it will become an ecosystem. It will be like a rainforest, right? So you'll have mm -hmm. complementary roles and different brands will have different parts to play. But I think, I think, you know, for brands, and you look back at them, I'm not saying social media is finished, but it's certainly reached some sort of maturity now. And the biggest change was not whether you're on Twitter or not. It was really how that changed your relationship with your customer, I think, right? So the big, the big profound change there was this sort of devolution of power to the customer and the idea of a monologue becoming a dialogue. And as we said right at the beginning of this call, my favorite word, participation. I think people want into brands now. And all of that came through Web 2.0 and, and social media. But it's a more profound point about the nature of the experience, not just a, a particular technology. Vice in the metaverse makes perfect sense. Like obviously y'all are there you've got that panache you've got the edge to it you've got that authenticity that whatever could be a little polarizing but it's you make a natural fit into the metaverse in my estimation for brands that aren't every day conveying that edge conveying that devil may care attitude what would you recommend for them just to get their toe in the water we don't advise brands to rashly rush in um, McDonald's got really, it's done some cool things, but it got burnt, you know, so it did um, NFT, I think, and it was hijacked, unfortunately, because McDonald's is a very, as I know well, a very visible brand and the best intentions. You, you have to have a considered strategy. So for example, with NFTs, we're actually, we did a NFT for Coke. It was one of the first, it was really successful. It raised a lot of money for 
charity. And that, this was the end of last summer. Already that moment has changed. You know, it's, it's, it's changing minute by minute. Right. We're advising brands to wait and see when it comes to entering NFT. It was a lot more problematic than it was even six months ago. So, you know, because of the blockchain issues and carbon neutrality and so on, so on, so on. I think you need, I think at least you have, you have to have a strategy. Like, the, it, I'm always, I always talk about my colleague Chris worked on Apple for many years. They deliberately sat out social media until they had a good use for it for like, you know, a long time. They just didn't engage in the channel until shot in an iPhone. And then there was a perfect, perfect use of it, which was as a, a sort of virtual gallery for participation, right? For iPhone users mm -hmm. to be able to submit um, their photographs into this exploding world of, um, as, as really a beautiful shot in an iPhone is a beautiful, beautiful piece of marketing and a beautiful consumer experience. And it's, as everything Apple does, it's perfectly conceived and executed. But they, the, my point is they chose their moment, they chose their channel, they did it in a deliberate way, they did it in a highly branded way, and then they executed flawlessly. And, in, and, and of course, it looks very simple, but it was, I'm sure, agony to get there. So because it's a whole lot of choices, rather than just opening up a Facebook page and start writing nonsense because everybody else is, you know? So when we get into this with clients, the principle we're increasingly using, I'm giving away some of our IP here, but we talk about value exchange planning. So that, that's what we think is the sort of, if you think about the history of media, which, sorry, me, medias and media agencies that went from just buying media to media planning. When I joined the business 30 years ago, that was a relatively new thing. And then it went to connections planning, which looked at the wider range of connections beyond paid media. Where we think that's going is what we call value exchange planning. So that's, what does that mean? That means every point of interaction, all media planning was about making an interruption, then connections planning was about making a connection. Now you have to go a stage further and say, what value am I adding? To, to, to their life at a particular point. And that sounds obvious, but it's not. And that you take the shot in an iPhone, for example, they were really clear, crystal clear. They could write a plain English sentence about what the value exchange was, right? We're offering creators a space and a community to show their work. I don't know if that's their sentence. I'm extrapolating from what I see, but mm -hmm. crystal clear. Right. Most brands not able to do that. Why, what are you doing on... Facebook or what are you doing on Roblox? I don't know. We we sort of felt we had to be there. I mean, we're a little bit guilty of that ourselves. We've opened up this store, the Spice Verse, in the and you know we do have plans for it. That's not entirely fair, but we um, but if you're um, you know if you're Coca Cola or Mercedes or whatever, don't you need you need a clear point of view? Yeah, I think so. And I think that part of the Vice brand is. Oh, we found a new planet that's habitable. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Let's, we get, let's send five. Part. Let's send five. No, 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 we have to be that. That is device brand. Is we talk about you know unexpected stories in unexpected ways, the stories others won't tell. So we have to be. I mean, we're in you know all sorts of places in the world where others won't go for with news, for example, and um, we have to be there. And we report that we report from 
the metaverse we have reporters embedded there oh, that's cool that's very yeah. cool which is, which um, is a big part of news mm-hmm. i have to imagine yeah so going back to something we kind of touched on that the metaverse is kind of poised to potentially have the same level of impact that social media did on just kind of interactions oh, it'll make much bigger. It'll make okay much bigger social media, i think i think this is tectonic don't you mm. Mm. yeah mean, yeah I the more i learn about morning, it and the morning uh, my, I woke up and read that Microsoft was acquiring Activision mm-hmm. Blizzard, which rudely they didn't inform me of. Um, <laughs> they just went cavalierly ahead without my say. So I thought, oh, you know, that's just one of those moments. That's and it's only happened once before in my life, in sort of ni- around 1999, where I thought, I thought, okay, this is different. This is you know, it's a cli- it became mm-hmm. a cliche, right? That, this is going to change everything was the phrase and i think this is i think what's different this time is this sort of all of these things are happening at once you know so there's yes. a, it's a book if you're really interested in this topic i'd recommend a book called the exponential age mm. and it's about how all of these different the metaverse artificial intelligence cloud computing all of these principally technological forces are going to intersect and it's going to just get faster and faster and faster and that's really what's driving a lot of this geopolitical change i think but it's kind of like moore's law run amok you know what i mean and just that idea is it gets more and more and and as humans as we well know from behavioral economics as humans we are ill prepared to cope with exponential change the human brain can only really comprehend linear change it's going to be a ride i think and you can see the cracks in society already because there's so much change i mean ever since 1996 you know that year political change in america and brexit and so on and so forth so anyway i think it's the, i think this is going to make the social media revolution look like a ripple well that's a that's just a, a lot to even wrap your head around <laughs> But do you think that marketers going into social and we've seen we've seen many face plants, we've seen much brilliant work. Do you think that that was like a kind of 10 year test run for entering the metaverse and maybe just not porting over your old work into a new space? Yeah, I think people have got that right. They've got I mean, look, most people who are in these and I'm talking now about big brands, there's there's a whole range of brands that were born in the last 10 years and invented by people much younger than I am and they think about the world very differently but most big brands are in the hands of people in their 40s and 50s and those people were trained in a, in a world that's actually fast disappearing and, and, and certainly very antiquated now. now it hasn't completely disappeared that's another conversation we could have people always you know the aphorism people always overestimate change in the short term and underestimate it in the long term so tv is actually far more important than most people think still but yeah absolutely for example but you've got you know um this generation of marketers who grew up in 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 the ad supported world and it wasn't regulated but it was a very orderly world and um i do think let's call it the social media revolution did teach them that that you need to you know you need to have something to say it's more than that. I, I think it's that, as I say, it's value exchange. You need to, 
so in the war for attention, right? The question I was encouraged marketers to ask is why on earth should I engage with your brand? And you all know that from mm-hmm. your personal life. And if you don't have a good reason, you're lost, I think, because nobody, there's a thousand other more interesting things you could do today, right? Nobody's forced to sit and watch your brand. Mm-hmm. So it's, this is the shift. This is in the marketing world. This is the big shift we've seen in our time, the shift from push to pull, essentially. So before we take kind of a little pivot on the podcast, um, if folks are like revved up, they're ready to set up a shop in the metaverse and they want to get in touch with you, they want to see what Virtue is up to, uh, yeah. what are the easiest ways to do that? Well, you can go to our site. I mean, that's, um, and you can, uh, we've got a pretty clear explanation on the virtue side of what we're trying to do as a company. And, um, and, and there's examples of our work there, um, including the work we just launched this week called for Coke Creations, which is truly a metaverse project. It's in many ways more so than our own project in that it um, combines many of these technologies it's for a series of limited edition coca-cola drinks that are just marketed in a very new way i think it's the work i'm most proud of in my whole career i think because it's so oh, wow um so check that out because i think that hasn't you know i think it points to the future and it's not just us it was coca-cola was visionary and in, in what they're doing there i think and then come visit us in Decentraland when you're, you know, come start to check, check out that you can, come, you can come in and see what it's all about. Don't tell and my bosses. I'm spending the afternoon in the verse, <laughs> in the vice versa. And That's it. Can, um, and obviously, if anybody's interested, we would love to entertain a conversation. We do that all the time. Fantastic. Uh, so, Colin, this next question we ask to everybody, uh, every guest on the podcast, we feel it's a very important one to ask. I'd love to hear your thoughts on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I think it's another sort of generational change. It's been a sort of deeply humbling experience for people of my age and type. Um, because I think all of these issues were there. I just wasn't aware of them and now of course we are we're all scrambling to understand it it's interesting because now I run a company or at least a business unit within a company and you know there's a responsibility to that um we work very hard at actually when I joined Vice and Virtue they had exceptional diversity numbers it just naturally was a very diverse organization but we got raided it's interesting as everybody woke up to that they came, we got a lot of our, lost a lot of our amazing talent. So we've been working very diligently to, to re-diversify, let's say, and, and, and with success, I think. I mean, all of our recent hires have had that agenda in mind, but actually it's, we've come to it because we look for a particular casting. So for in this role, we look for people, people are culturally aware and, um, and those often come from, um, diverse communities and then it's something sort of almost at a political level we advocate advocate for we're very interested in it as a media organization we've always been taught taught about um, unexpected stories and unexpected ways or stories that others won't tell um, so it's sort of in our bones that way and that has been an education 
for me. And then finally, I'd say we have we have a really good um, chief talent officer who's made this her personal agenda. She's just published her book this week, which is called Inclusion Revolution. She's been a wonderful partner in really thinking about diversity in just much more modern, progressive ways and what that means today. Very, very is that good. a good answer? Or oh, there's a great one. That's a great one. Anyway, great one with a book reco in there. <laughs> Inclusion Revolution. Yeah, check it out. I haven't read it, full disclosure. It just was published yesterday, I believe. Well, I mean, you'd have to be a pretty quick reader. <laughs> um, all right, but Colin, do, are you ready? I do know what it says, and it's worth checking out for sure. Excellent, excellent. Colin, are you ready for things to get serious here on the podcast? We've been having a good time. We've been keeping it civil. Are you ready for things to get heavy? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Colin, what is your favorite album of all time and why? Oh, God. That's good because it's one of those questions, what the first thing that comes to mind. It's a really weird album, which actually came out before I was born, the year before I was born. This is just, just what would pop to mind, but it is sort of relevant. So it's Pink Floyd's Piper at the Gates of Dawn, which mm. was um, the very first album by Pink Floyd when they were still a sort of psychedelic band. Right, and right. it was recorded at the same time as Sgt. Pepper at Abbey Road. So in Studio A were the big, really? the big the, yeah, the, the sort of big expensive studio and Studio B, the much smaller one, this, <laughs> this sort of underground band at the time was doing it. and it's sort of a really I don't know it's just I find it it just captures wonderfully this moment of innocence and magic and possibility and experimentation and um, if you listen to it today you know more than half a century later it still sounds kind of magical and, and, and exciting in a way albums don't anymore it's you know who listens to a whole album but always always loved it that's amazing. I've been looking for some new, uh, some new <laughs> listening. I, I'm a big uh, Pink Floyd fan. I'm actually uh, surprised that I had never. Oh, um, really? Oh, well, it's a very story, different because so. there's a sad story, which I won't get into, but it's a different uh, band because then they sort of had a change of change of right. mind, I guess. Right, and then right. they became the super stadium band, which is interesting, too, but completely different. Roto Floyd. We love we love it. We love it. We love it. Um, let's bring this up to the 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 present day. Is there something you're listening to now, whether it's an artist? It was, and I'm going to just on my Spotify last night. Hit me. I, I listened to this, so I stumbled across this, but I just thought it was incredibly beautiful. Um, an artist called Hania Rani, and she's sort of a, she's a composer, she's Polish, young. She does some film scores. She's sort of in that very interesting space between pop and classical and electronic music interesting h-a-n-i-a-r-a-n-i and it was a discovery this week and i'm sort of obsessed with her i'm listening to her all the time she's got three or four albums and it's just my, I, my brother just got covid in scotland oh <laughs> i'm sorry very, to hear that very miserable he's fine but he's miserable Right. Bed, and I just pinged it to him last night. I said, this, this will soothe you, my friend. <laughs> That's excellent. So Hani Arani, that is a, yeah. uh, well, we just like, yeah, eclectic. We like it. It's, it's, okay, uh, good, it's good, fantastic. Good. Um, Colin, this has been such a joy. Thank you so, so much for being guest on the Marketing Futures podcast. Thank you, Michael. It's a real pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Marketing Futures podcast. Have an idea for a topic or guest for a future episode? 
shoot us a note at marketingfutures at ana.net. Be sure to subscribe to the Futures Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, if you're looking to get smart on the future, point your browsers to ana.net slash futures.